I said to somebody at the first service, how'd you like that DC talk? And they just looked at me like, what is that? So if you don't know what that is, it's okay. Some of you know what I'm talking about, so there you go. Hey, thank you for falling back. I appreciate that. Thank, how many of you showed up at 1030? Anybody? Wow. That, I guess if they did, you're gone by now, right? You're not, you're not hanging out. So thank you so much for being here. I'm going to make it worth your while because there's a couple things that I need to make you aware of that you may not have known as you walked in here. And I feel responsible because we all sort of have these things that we are concerned about, that we worry about. Um, and so I want to add a couple more to that list as if the list wasn't long enough. The first one is inflatable pumpkins that get loose. All right. So... Um, this may or may not ever happen to you, but when a 350-pound inflatable pumpkin gets loose, as it did in Phoenix this week, this dude's about to get it. So he's kind of just staring like he's shocked at this thing. So just be aware if you're ever around an inflatable pumpkin, add that to your worry list, all right? That would be um, completely awesome. The second one is this. The World Health Organization announced, you may have heard, that bacon is now seen as a cause of cancer. Disappointing to many of us, we consider a food group. So let me say to you this. If you you consume 18 strips of bacon a day for like the next 18 years, they say that you have a 20% greater chance of contracting cancer. And so uh, any of you that are in that category, make sure that you're uh, really cautious, all right? Now, my first thought in any of those things, whenever I hear stuff like that is, wow, just another thing to worry about. Because worry and anxiety could probably be accurately depicted in our culture as really an epidemic. In fact, much of our media... And the marketing that is out there today is really designed to create some anxiety in you so that you'll watch their programming or buy their product. Even our political, kind of our culture now, is the candidates are not as compelled to give us ideas. They're more compelled to, to get us afraid and then ask us to vote for them so that maybe we'll be less afraid. And so it's one of those tools. And today, we're going to be continuing our Red Letter series that Jody kicked off last week in such an awesome way. And the focus of this series is specifically the difficult or challenging words of Jesus. And today, what we're going to look at in red is the words that Jesus speaks that directly um, counter the epidemic of worry that we face today. And just so you won't worry, if you have to leave early or if the power suddenly goes out and we have to evacuate the building, I don't want you to worry. So I'm going to put all of Jesus' teaching about worry into one bucket right now. So what I'm about to share with you is everything that Jesus inferred when he taught about worry in five quick questions, and then we're going to look deeper at what he said. So here's the five questions. Follow along with me. This is number one. Who of us, by worrying, can add a single hour to anyone's life, including your own? Right? That's the first thing that he taught us. Second one. Who of you, by worrying, has probably taken a year off your own life? Thirdly, who of you by worrying is driving people in your life out of their minds? Raise your hand. Number four, who of you by worrying has actually upgraded your wardrobe or reduced your grocery bill? Finally, who of you by worrying has added value to what you value most? That's it in a nutshell. So if worrying hasn't made your life better or accomplished something positive in your life, if worry has actually shortened your life, it makes sense to say, stop it. Stop it. But that's the easy part, to say stop it. That brings us to the hard part and where we need to spend a few moments today. Because the hard part is, the difficult challenge is, how, 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 how do you not 
worry. And what is brilliant and what Jesus offers us is an alternative to worrying. So if you're a Christian, these next few moments are definitely for you. But even if you're here today and you are checking out this whole Jesus thing, this faith thing is new to you, this Christian thing, you're just kind of peeking around the corner. You're not really sure today as you're sitting here where you're at on your spiritual journey. If you're here today for whatever reason, maybe somebody bribed you. Maybe somebody um, said, I'll buy you breakfast, I'll buy you lunch. Maybe you didn't know what to do with that extra hour, so you're here. Maybe somebody just invited you to something and didn't tell you what it was, and now you're here. I believe that the words you're about to hear from Jesus are so compelling, and what he says about worry is so awesome. I think you might even be convinced to start following him. Start following him. Now, the context today is one of Jesus' earliest messages when he was first beginning to draw a crowd and people were beginning to listen to him. And we find these red letters in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 24, so you can find it either in the old-fashioned way or on your smartphone. I'd encourage you to, to find it today, all right? I want you to follow along, highlight it. This is probably, my, my, my gut is, this is probably a passage that if you're not that familiar with, you're going to want to be from this moment forward. But this is in the midst of one of Jesus' his famous sermons, you probably heard of it even if you haven't spent a lot of time in church, the Sermon on the Mount to his audience. All right, And in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 24, Jesus decides to launch a conversation about worry. And guess what topic he launched it with? Money. Money. Most people's number one worry in America and probably around the world is their money because we think we might run out of money before we run out of life. And so Jesus looks into the future, even into 2015, and he decides to hit worry head on for where most of us spend the most time worrying. And so in verse 24, he says this, no one can serve two masters. Either they will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And this little Greek word that's translated as money that we just read is the Greek word mammon, which means stuff. And so what Jesus is saying is you can't serve God and serve your stuff. You can't be fully devoted to God and fully devoted to your stuff. They are going to war against each other. And so he's setting us up right now, very important concept that's going to run the course of his dialogue. He's saying, listen, there's a tension. There's a war about what you are devoted to, and you have to decide what you are going to be most devoted to. You can't have it both ways. And you're thinking, well, I love God, and I love my stuff. And Jesus is clear. Can't have it both ways. You're forced to make a decision. And what does this have to do with worry? Everything. These two words have everything to do with worry. We're about to discover it. In verse 25, he then says this. Therefore, therefore. Now, when you see therefore in the Bible, it's there to connect, obviously, two thoughts. If you're looking at the scripture there on your phone or you're looking at it in your Bible, there's actually a different heading. Somebody went through and thought they would help us out and uncomplicate the Bible. And so they kind of divided things up into different themes and sections. That wasn't there in the beginning. And I think whoever did that here kind of messed up, actually. Because they put like a dividing line, like somehow Jesus was changing thoughts, and he really wasn't. He was saying, you can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and your stuff. You can't be devoted to God and be devoted to your stuff, right? 
And then he says this, therefore, because of this, he says, do not worry about your life. Well, that's frustrating. Thank you, Jesus. That's very helpful. It's that easy. The challenge is we all know you're not going to leave today and stop worrying just because I stood up here and read a few words of Jesus and said, stop worrying. It's like when you were a kid and your parents put you to bed and they said, now try really hard to go to sleep. How do you try to go to sleep when you're five years old? Like, do you just hold yourself, you know, just close your eyes even tighter and somehow you're going to fall asleep? doesn't make any sense. And the same goes with worry. The same goes with worry. Jesus Just saying, stop it, isn't going to make it go away. And then he addresses the things his audience would have worried about. He says, therefore, do not worry about your life. Do not worry what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. He's saying to the crowd there, I know what you're concerned about, what you have anxiety about every single day. You get up, and this is how these people live. They got up, and they were like day to day. You worry about what are we going to eat today? What are we going to drink today? And are we going to have clothes? Are we going to be able to clothe ourselves? And Jesus, right off the bat, goes to the heart of what all worry is about. Worry is about later. Worry is about the future. That's why he says, why are you worried about what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear? Now, he chooses these things because they are the primary concern of the audience there in the first century that he was talking to. But they're probably not, probably not, in most cases, in this room especially, probably not the primary concern of us today. Most of us are not worried about what we're going to eat. Look around, right? Most of us are more concerned about where we're going to eat in about 30 minutes than what we're going to eat. For me, it's Shake Shack, but don't rush there. I don't want there to be a line, all right? Most of us in our culture are not concerned about what we're going to drink. Now, I realize there are places in our world where there's a challenge to find clean water. I get that. But for you and I, when we read that, like, you're not worried about if you need a bottle of water, we'll give you one out in the lobby. I mean, it's good. We have water to drink. Most of us are not worried about what we're going to wear. Actually, the biggest worry we have is what should I wear, right? I want to make sure I wear the right thing to church today. Should I wear the old justice shirt or should I wear the new justice shirt? Should I buy the orange one or should I buy the gray one? I'll buy both. I don't know what to do. I'm so worried. Most of us aren't worried about those things. And the people in the first century would look at you and I and go, well, dude, you must not worry about anything. We're like, whoa, hold on, wait a second, because my life's complicated. I have worries. We have tuition worries. We have marriage worries. Some of you, you say, am I ever going to get married? Some of you are worried because your kids are a mess. Some of you, you want to have kids. Some of you want to have more kids. Some of you, your wife wants to have more kids and you don't. And that makes you have anxiety today. Some of you want to get remarried. Some, Some of you are sitting here today. You're not sure you have enough money to pay your bills. You're thinking, I'm not sure I'm going to be, how am I going to take care of my aging parents? I'm not sure I'm going to have enough money to retire. Man, I'm really worried about my kid. Is he going to make that club soccer team or is the coach going to pick him for that select team? I'm not really sure. You're worried about that. My kid, is he going to get into the college that he wants to? Is my kid even going to go to college at all? If Jesus were addressing us today in our context, he would probably say it a little bit differently. He would probably say, listen, yo, He probably wouldn't say yo. He might. He would say, don't worry about your life. He'd say, don't worry if you're going to be able to retire. 
Don't worry about whether your kids are going to get into the right school or the school of their choice. Don't worry about whether or not you're going to be single the rest of your life. Don't worry about whether you're going to find the job you love. Don't worry about keeping the job. Don't worry, don't worry, don't, don't worry. Now remember, he said this, Jesus said this, don't send me emails. I'm just right here. That's what he said. Right? He said, stop worrying about these things. And you ask, it's a valid question. So was Jesus saying that all this stuff that I tend to worry about, it's not important? It's not important that we have food to eat and clothes to wear? Of course not. Actually, that's the point. His point is not that retirement or school or kids or health isn't important. It's the opposite. His point is, is that all those things are important and the truth is we're always going to live with a certain amount of uncertainty related to those things. In fact, spoiler alert, some of those things that you're worrying about are not going to work out exactly the way that you want them to, to work out when you get into to tomorrow and the next week and the next month and the next years. But Jesus is saying you still don't have to worry about it. He says there is a way to face uncertainty tomorrow but not worry about it today. Please enlighten us, Jesus. Verse 20, 25, the second part, he asks a really big question. Is not your life more than food? Some of you are like, not a lot. <laughs> Is not your life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Is not your life, the entirety, the holistic part of your life more important? What he's doing is he's trying to pull us out of our tendency to hyper-focus. He wants to pull us out for just a moment. He wants to try to shift what we, together in this room, tend to be focused on. Because whatever we're devoted to is what we tend to hyper-focus on. And he says, isn't your life, the bigger picture of a life, isn't it true that it's more, it, it, your life is bigger than the little things you worry about? Isn't it true that what you put front and center that you worry about, even if, even, get it, even if it's massively seems important, that your life is, is bigger than those particular little components or things, and you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, if you look at my life, like my entire life and me being alive and the purpose you have for me and my legacy and all that stuff, yes, Jesus, my life is bigger than some of the smaller components that I worry about, but I still worry about it. Jesus says, listen, don't blow through this big thought because when you worry about things like food and clothing and tuition and paying bills and what's for dinner and what's she going to think and is she going to ask me out or is life more than that, you're equating life to the things that you are focused on. You are taking your life and making it a, a, a combination of all these things that you can't seem to get your mind off of. So at 3 a.m. when you wake up, the first things you are focused on is exactly reflective of the things you are devoted to. It's key to this whole passage because what we are hyper-focused hyper on is what we are devoted to. And my worry is tied to those things. My worry is tied to the things I am most devoted to. This is what we ultimately worry about. They're all connected. Think about your life right now. Pause. What are you devoted to? I guarantee you what it's what you spend most of the time focusing on your thoughts your actions and ultimately it drives your emotions which gets us to a point where we worry it's because of what we're devoted to let me 
Let me be honest. Confession, all right, turn off your phones. Don't record this. Shut off the video. All right, here we go. Confession, pastoral confession today. All right, I've got to be honest. You may not want to hear this. I never, ever have worried about your job. Why? Because I'm not devoted to your job. Like if you come up to me in the lobby or you send me an email and you say, man, I'm worried about my job. I mean, I care. I'm going to be concerned. If it's appropriate, we're going to stop and we're going to pray together. But would I go home today and worry about your job? Probably not. It's not because I'm a bad guy. It's because I'm not devoted to it like you are. I mean, another confession. I never, ever worry about your kids' grades. Ever. Do I care? Of course I care. If you tell me my kid is flunking out of school, I would feel compassion. If we needed to pray, we would. But do I sit at home and worry about your kid's grades? No. Why? Because I never, ever in my life have devoted myself to your kid doing well in school. I got to be honest. I've never really worried about your retirement. I know. It sounds terrible. But I'm not. I hope it works out. I hope you retire early with millions of dollars and you drink little sippy drinks and you get to play golf every day if that's, if that's what you really want. If you have a crisis, if, if your retirement fund starts to slip or the stock market crash and you come and talk to me, honestly, I would be concerned about that. But do I go home at night thinking and worrying about you and whether you're going to be able to retire well? No way. Because never once in my life have I ever devoted myself to making sure that you retire well. And so this begs the question, we worry about what we're devoted most to. So what if Jesus says the key to stop the, stopping the presence of worry in our life is if we shifted, follow me, if we shifted what we were devoted to, what would happen to your worry? And then he gives us a ridiculous illustration that helps us make this shift. In verse 26, he says this, look at the birds of the air. What? Look at the birds of the air. Jesus, I don't have time to look at the birds of the air. I need a freaking job, all right? I don't want to look at the birds of the air. Jesus, I don't have time to look at the birds of the air. My car's broke down. I don't know how I'm getting to work tomorrow. I don't have time, Jesus. Look at the birds of the air. My kid is failing the ninth grade. I don't have time to look at the birds of the air. My husband may not come back. He's left. Jesus, are you kidding me? He would say, chill out. Are you finished? He says, look at the birds of the air. He says, I'm not discounting the importance of your concerns. I'm trying to help you because what? You're hyper-focused on what you're devoted to, and it's leading to worry. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not, verse 26, they do not sow or reap or stow away in barns. Now remember, when he said this, people that were listening to him were sitting outside, so he probably just pointed. They were out by the water, and he probably said, look at the birds of the air, right? They looked, oh, birds. For us, he would say this. He would say, look at the birds. They don't have a 401k. <laughs> he would point into the air and say, look at the birds. They didn't get a college education. Look at the birds. They don't walk their kids around all the time and hold little Johnny's hand and make them wear helmets and all kinds of stuff so they never get hurt. The birds of the air, they build their nests really, really, really high, as high as they can, and they just take their kids and they push them out and they say, good luck. 
right? Look at the birds. Some of you, that's the best parental advice you'll ever get. This is important because if you miss what Jesus is saying, he's not just making fun of us in all of our hard ways. He's saying, the birds of the air, they don't even try. They just fly around and they look at each other and think, you want to go south? Let's go south. And so they go south. The birds of the air, they see a little piece of string while they're flying around and they go, ooh, string. And they, they feel compelled to go down and to grab the string so they can build a little nest. And they think, I just did this last year. I'm doing this again. And they do that every year and they build a new nest. The birds of the air, they just go with the flow. They build a little tree fort. Jesus says, look at them. They don't have plans. They don't have email. They don't have smartphones. They don't have a budget. They don't do any. They don't do any of the responsible stuff that you do. And still, they don't worry. You're out there trying. And the birds of the air are just going with the flow. And he says, here's why. Here's why you got to look at the birds of the air. Because you're doing all of that, and they're just flying around. And yet, your heavenly Father does what? Feeds them. Here's the, this is like the question. Like you need to highlight it in your U version. You need to write it on your hand, tweet it, do whatever. This is the question. Are you not much more valuable than they? Are you not, Jesus says, listen, are you not more valuable to God than a bird? Maybe you didn't hear me. Let me say it differently. Do you think God cares more for you than he does the birds? Do you think God is more concerned about you, you who were made in his image. You remember back in the story of creation? Remember in Genesis, we talked about it last year, when God created all this cool stuff. It was awesome. He said it was good. But then he got to mankind, and it was, like, different. He said, I'm going to make man, and I'm going to make woman in my own image. They're going to bear my thumbprint. In fact, he said this, I think I'll send a savior into the world, but I'm not going to send a savior into the world in the form of a bird or a flower or a goat or a cow or even a lion. I'm going to send my son into the world in the form of a human being. So before you go, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Answer the question, do you think God cares more about you, who you store and you work and you sow and you reap? you think God cares more about you than he does the birds of the air? I know it's a deep theological question. Take a moment and ponder it. But the answer is absolutely. He cares more. This isn't silly. It's significant. Because it's Jesus telling us why you can face uncertainty, even in the important things, tomorrow, and not worry. He's telling you why you don't know what next year holds, and still you don't have to worry. He's telling you why you don't know whether your kid's even going to graduate high school, and you're worried about their grades and how they're doing in class, and you don't have to necessarily worry and lose your mind. Jesus says you can have uncertainty and not worry all at the same time. And his point is not to be irresponsible. Whoa, dude, just chill out. It's all going to work out. It's cool. That's fatalism. That's faith. That's not faith. His point is actually this. I want you to sow. I want you to reap and store in barns. I want you to study for that test. I want you to fill out tons of applications for those jobs. I want you to knock on doors and work hard. I want you to set goals. I want you to build a budget. I want you to do your best. I want you to do all that stuff. 
But when you've done all that stuff in the now, I want you just to breathe. Take a deep breath. And remember that God loves you more than the birds. And be confident in God's love for you. That as you breathe in the now and you do everything responsible that you can, that God has gifted you in and given you and the options and the opportunities, when you do all of that in the know, that God will be present when you get to the next now. Because our worry is birthed in the fact that we are devoted to the wrong thing. We're hyper-focused on it and we've created worry. And somewhere in our minds, we somehow convinced ourselves that even though God is here today and he keeps showing up, that somehow we're going to arrive tomorrow and God's not going to be there. I don't know where we get that. Because he says, look where? The birds of the air. The birds of the air. Then he goes on. It says, can any one of you, verse 27, by worrying at a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor. Here's another example. They don't spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothed, clothed the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And this is interesting because Jesus, we think, spoke in Aramaic. But Matthew wrote in Greek, so we had to take all of what they had that Jesus said and change it to Greek. And this was very difficult. And the two words here that he uses, oh, you of little faith, he had to work really hard because the Aramaic, whatever Jesus said probably made people laugh. And it was kind of just this sort of slangy thing that he said. And so he did his best and he said, oh, you of little faith. But but they've gone back and they've kind of looked at it and they said probably a more accurate translation of what Jesus would have said is, you little faithers. You little faithers, he said. He said, don't worry, verse 31, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For, verse 32, the pagans, now pagan sounds like a harsh word, but I think you need to understand when you you hear the word pagan, it merely means this. It means those individuals who do not yet believe there is a God or do not believe that God, there is a God that is personal. He said the pagans, they don't have a belief in God. They run after these things. So let's substitute our word. Run after could be the same as what? They are devoted to these things. These are the things that people who don't even know there's a God, who don't even pay attention to the fact that there's a God, these are the kind of things that they worry about, that they have anxiety about. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He says, you believe there is a God. You believe he did all this stuff, but if you're stressing out about these life things and are acting like the people who don't believe there is a God, if you're acting like a pagan, you are living your life practically as an atheist. Again, don't send me an email. He said this, right? He says, you're saying you believe, and yet the reality of how you live your life every day, the reality of your thought patterns in the middle of the night when you're sweaty and you're not sure what tomorrow holds, is you're acting like a pagan. You're acting like someone who doesn't know that God is personal. Don't be like that. Be different. Now, if we divided up this room all over the place, we, there's probably five or six core worries that we could probably group everybody into. So when we go out into the world and we're working in our workplace or we're in our schools, we're in our neighborhoods, we're, we're shopping... We are all the time bumping into people who have the same worries and concerns that you do. But Jesus says, don't act like the pagans. Your response should be different because of your relationship with God. They should look at your life and be amazed. They should look at your life and say, I see what's going on. I mean, I know what's going on with you. Are you worried? You seem to be responsible, but you aren't freaking out. Why are you not out of control with worry? 
Jesus says that the way we handle worry, the way we handle the anxiety and stress in our life is an opportunity to shine brighter than ever before. And we are living at a time when there is so much worry and stress that's an opportunity for those who proclaim themselves to be followers of Christ to not act like those who are running after all these other things and are trying to somehow create certainty in tomorrow that we all know doesn't exist no matter how hard we try. I know what you're thinking. I like to shine bright, but is there another opportunity to shine brighter? Can I skip the whole overcome worry thing, right? Like to have another one like, Jesus, can I shine bright by how I manage the enormous wealth that you give me? Like, can I win mega bucks, right? Like all those people waste their money when they win mega bucks. I will not do that, Jesus. I will shine brighter, all right? I will shine brighter. Jesus says, no, you don't get that. You get this. You get this. It's not all the worries we all face, but it's our response to them. And we should be different. Why? Because what he said, he said, your heavenly father, read it with me, knows that you need them. This is what separates us from everybody else. What you know. He knows. He knows what we need. Take all of this and you take all of the things that we mistakenly devote ourselves to and focus on and we worry about and all of that. If he could just come up to you and if you would listen and he could whisper loud enough, he would say, I know, I know, I know what you need. I know about your stress. I know about your marriage. I know about the house. I know about your health challenges. And you can walk confidently in that. And all of a sudden, when, you, when you're confident that he knows, your worry level starts to decrease significantly. And while it's decreasing, here's where we shift our focus and here's where we shift our devotion, because there's something we can actually do besides trying harder to not worry. Verse 33, but seek first. He says, listen, you've been seeking first the wrong thing. You've been devoting yourself to the wrong thing, but seek first the kingdom, his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things, all the stuff you're worried and freaking out about will be given to you as well. Will, will, future. The things you don't know, God's going to be there. So he says, listen, here's your solution. If he knows, transfer your devotion. Transfer your devotion to something else. Transfer to his kingdom, what God is up to, what God is doing. The solution to worry isn't just to stop worrying or stop caring. The solution is to redirect your devotion and all these things God will take care of as you devote yourself first and foremost to him. Jesus, man, he's just inviting us today, guys. He's inviting us to a whole new way of living if we'll step into it. A whole new way of thinking. A whole new way of seeking. Let me give you two practical ways to do this. I'd encourage you just to write this down or commit it to memory. It says The first one is this, as we seek his kingdom first. When we are tempted to worry about tomorrow... Every time that temptation comes up, some of you are dealing with it right now, find a way to participate in what God is doing today. That's what last week, really, with all of our reach, and some of you are in the courtyard, and you're thinking, where can I serve, and what local thing can I do, and how can I reach out, and I can support a child. That's awesome. Those are ways in which all the worries that we have, when those things start to come in on us and we're tempted, we can say, listen, in the midst of all those worries, I'm going to find a way to participate in what God is doing today. When you're overwhelmed with worry, begin to pray with somebody else who you know is going through stuff. 
reach out to somebody else. Get involved and engage somewhere else. Find a way to seek and show his kingdom. And then secondly, I want to challenge you not only to participate in what God is doing, but pray this, what I'm about to share with you, over and over and pray it over every today. Pray it over every today. Here's the words. He said it earlier to these folks. You've heard it even if you haven't been in church for quite a while or ever. Just a little bit earlier in this talk, he said these words as he told them how to pray. He said, thy kingdom come, God. Thy will be done on earth. In other words, in your life, in your business, your finances, all that stuff. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To seek God first is to pray exactly like this. In every area of my life, thy will be done. When you have the temptation to obsess, to worry, say, thy will be done. Say, God, I've decided to seek your kingdom first. I've decided I'm going to trust you to know what I need. Let me challenge you tomorrow, okay? I want you to do this. When you wake up tomorrow, and most of you reach for your phone, which is now located next to your bed, and you check your email, and your worry and obsession begins instantaneously, You've been awake for five seconds and the world is crashing in on you. I'm going to ask you, don't do that. I'm going to ask you to grab your phone if you have to, but instead of hitting the mail button, hit the version button, hit the Bible app, whatever you have. And I want you merely to just read this passage, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 32. That's it. Just read it first thing in your day before you do anything else. And then just stop, close your eyes, even if you're laying on the pillow, and just say, God, over today, I'm going to pray these words. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And whatever I'm obsessing about or whatever I'm worried about today, God, I'm going to place it there because I want your will more than I want my way. I'm going to open up my hands. I'm going to surrender it. And I don't know all the answers. And I may be stepping out of my house or driving to my workplace. And I may be filled with uncertainty. And every time you're sitting there in a meeting at your job and things are starting to go sideways, don't do it out loud because that's weird and you may get fired. But just... Under your, under your breath, just, God, your will be done. I'm going to trust you. Because, frankly, you can do that, or the alternative is just go worry. Just keep worrying, because that's really the only alternatives. And you can worry and see how that works for you and take years off your life and not create any value to life. Just keep on worrying, because that's working really well. And if this, makes, if this is encouragement to you, Jesus this is probably the first time that he shared this, but we can be confident that he shared it over and over and over again. It was probably something he regularly would share with people. And even his disciples, his closest followers who spent three years of their life with him, they continually struggled with this. I mean, when they got down to the end and Jesus was there with them and he was just about to be arrested and he said to them, hey, I'm about to leave, and they started freaking out. They were worried, God, what are we gonna do? We don't know what to do. We don't feel prepared. And they were all saying, we wanna go with you. And Peter, the crazy one, he's like, Jesus, I'm going with you wherever you're going. Jesus like, Peter, I don't think you can follow me here. I don't think you can follow me here, Peter. And they're all just freaking out. They don't know what to do. And Jesus says, come here. Come here, guys. I've taught you this, but I'm going to say it one more time. Lean in. So they all gather around, and they lean in, and he says these words to them. He says, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Stop worrying. The issue is faith, not worry. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives because the world tries to control. The world wants to bring certainty. He says, I don't do any of that. 
I'm leaving you a different kind of peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And then he was crucified. And when he was crucified, they scrambled and they ran and they hid. But then he was resurrected. So when someone predicts their own death and resurrection and then they pull it off and then they say, you may not want to worry, you believe that. You believe that. And so this is a revolution of self that we can bring into this. It's a revolutionary idea today where you look at the birds of the air and understand that God loves you so much that when you've done all that you can do in the now, where you have some control, that you're going to trust God in the next now that you have no control over. Because I'm not going to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not going to worry because my trust is in the only one who has control, the only one who has certainty about what my tomorrows bring because his will is going to be done in my life. Let's pray together. Father, in this moment, throughout this room, from the front to the back, God, we lay our worry, our concerns, our anxiety, the stress makes us not sleep well, makes us not eat well, makes us not good parents, not good spouses. Ultimately, it makes us not good disciples. God, we need to lay it and open up ourselves to you. God, I pray that we would lean into seeking you first. You know what we need. God, renew in us the confidence as a church community, as individuals, as families. God, I pray specifically for the men in this room who may carry a lot of worry. God, that you would give them relief and say, listen, God, your will be done in my life. God, that's our prayer today. And we pray it confidently in your name. Amen.